Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Daily Objective. Uh, we're going to be talking about Elvis uh, since his new movie came out, uh, directed by Baz Luhrmann. It's wonderful. I did see it and I recommend it. Um, it tells a story as old as time, really. Uh, a talented singer is sort of taken advantage of by his management. But at the same time, uh, but if not for that said management, would we have ever heard of Talented Singer? There, it's, it's a tale as old as time. Also a tale, uh, some would say as old as time, is um, a cultural trend begins among Blacks, among Black people, and some white, somebody white makes it very popular, or somebody white doing participating in said trend becomes kind of what people most know the trend for. Uh, raising a number of questions. Is this just? Is this right? Is this an instance of racism in the culture? And it's very easy uh, to be dismissive of these questions, but uh, I'll also say it's not impossible to give uh, some legitimacy to these uh, allegations of racism in the culture. When, when uh, a certain dance or a certain type of music emerges among Black people in America, and then the most famous um, instance of said dance or song is done by a white guy and everyone can't get enough of it, it does, it, it, it is somewhat demonstrable that, you know, maybe there's something wrong with the culture we live in that only a white guy could have gotten this popular and this beloved. So let's explore this topic. Please leave a like on this video, send us your super chats and uh, hit that join button to become a member of the channel. All right. So one aspect of this, which I think is the easiest uh, to kind of explore, is just when you when you as an entertainer do something that you that kind of emerged um, in a certain ethnic community. Let's say it's something you got from Japanese culture. Let's say it's something you got from American black culture at a certain point of time. It's easy for somebody to say you're being fake if you don't it, like, okay, so Iggy Azalea is a is a singer. She's a she's a woman. I think she's Australian. And people kind of uh, would raise to her, you know, you're rapping with this kind of Brooklyn accent and it's kind of fake. Um, so I think, you know, my opinion and of course, everything you hear today is my opinion. This is not, you know, necessarily the opinion of the Ayn Rand Center, certainly much less of Ayn Rand herself. This is all my opinion. I think artistically, you should do what you want to do as an artist. Um, so if Iggy Azalea wants to rap with a Brooklyn accent, that's she's perfectly entitled to do that. If people enjoy it, they should consume it. And when coming under fire, Iggy Azalea's only response should just be, this is how I wanted to how I wanted to record my music. This is the accent I wish to use. I understand if you feel I'm mocking somebody or appropriating their dialect, but this is just how I wanted the song to sound or the album to sound. And that's the end of that. So when a person is truly first-handed, when an artist is truly independent in their thinking, then such allegations, you know, cultural appropriation and or calling them, oh, you're fake. They just kind of roll off them like water off a duck's back because they just kind of shrug and say, look, you're welcome to your opinion. I, the artist, am going to do what I want. Um, now it gets more complicated when the allegation is, so Elvis Presley got his entire style and his entire type of performance. And in fact, the songs themselves that made him popular were all taken from black artists or from the sort of urban culture or not, not, not necessarily urban. I mean, it could be, you know, blacks living on the countryside, whatever it was, black people were doing something. Elvis grew up around black people. He 
sort of emulated what he saw, the allegation goes or the narrative goes. And next thing you know, Elvis is the most popular person on earth, period, let alone the most popular uh, performer performing these types of songs and performing these songs. But again, but again, it's like if Elvis is an independent soul, if he's a first handed person, if he's an artist, then what, what do you want him to do differently? I guess would would is what I would ask people who take issue with this. What would you wish him to do if he's inspired to follow a certain course as an artist, if he likes this type of performance and wishes to do it himself, if he's inspired? Then are you saying he should not do that? So to me, again, speaking on my own behalf. If an artist wants to do something, if an artist is inspired to uh, produce a certain type of art, telling that artist not to do that is telling the artist not to live. I mean, I said the same thing uh, when we did an episode about Dave Chappelle's controversy about trans people. And in that same special, um, Dave Chappelle said some things that sort of really made it sound like the Jews are behaving like the Nazis did. Um, and as much as I disagree with Dave Chappelle and what he's sort of alluding to, even then, I said to tell Dave Chappelle not to do comedy his way and to tell him not to perform what it is that he wrote and and thinks and knows should be in his comedy routine or comedy show. Telling him not to do that is telling him not to live. And people can raise. Yeah, but you're making the world a worse place with this type of comedy or you're making you're uh, aiding racism, let's say they would say to Elvis by taking this black type of art form or this art form that emerged from among black people and performing it as a white guy and may, and kind of leaving many people with the impression that you invented it. And once again, black artists are not getting um, they're not going to succeed at your level because you're white and they're black. So you're contributing to this sort of institutionally racist culture, they would say. And to which if I were Elvis, I would just say, look, to tell me not to do this is to tell me not to live. If the whole world needs to burn, if the whole world needs to end for me to do art my way, then that's the world's problem. So I know maybe what I'm saying right now does not strike some of you as the most logical sound argument, but um, I mean, write it down and revisit it. Think about it. I, I really do think uh, there is just something horribly monstrous about telling artists who are sincere in their um, production. Like they really... They uh, strongly are committed to their art form, telling them, no, you shouldn't do it because X, because it's making the world a worse place in some way, or it's uh, in some way, this is not your art to do. That uh, to me is wrong. How, but let's look further at the whole issue of like institutional racism. So without question, America was certainly an institutionally racist place at the time that Elvis began producing music. Some would say America still is institutionally racist and there's a lot to explore there. And if it is institutionally racist currently in whose favor, maybe in multiple favors, because we live in a lobby system where so many different lobbies are trying to get their piece of the political pie, so to speak, trying to get their special favors. But I think every for everyone can agree, everyone can agree that in the 1930s and 40s, the United States was institutionally racist. Certainly in, in the Jim Crow South, certainly in the South, racism was on the books. And I would even say, you know, from the perspective of capitalists, from the perspective of laissez-faire capitalists, we can look at even the North in the US and say, if the government is paving roads, right? If the government is improperly um, uh, uh, tasking itself with paving roads that should have been left to private, um, you know, private enterprise, 
then which neighborhoods are going to get the best roads? Which neighborhoods you think are going to get the roads leading them to job opportunities in the city, let's say? You think like if if once the government begins doing things that are not um, part of a free market, that are not proper in a capitalist system, then it becomes we are now living in a lobby system. Now, the question of who gets the favor and who gets the money and who gets the tax incentives, et cetera, is a question of pull. And who do you imagine had the most pull in the early 20th century? Predominantly white neighborhoods or black neighborhoods? I mean, the question is obviously rhetorical. So America was an institutionally racist country. It also had many virtues. It had large elements of capitalism and individual rights being protected in America. Despite all of its flaws, uh, we ought to celebrate the opportunities afforded to so many people in the United States, even at its worst, during its worst times. Okay, but America was institutionally racist in many ways. And then Elvis, um, he kind of learns this type of art form, right? This certain music style and this dance style from a, you know, a predominantly black culture. And is he not then participating in a institutionally racist culture? Somebody could ask. So we, we so I would say we want to separate uh, the political from just social. So no, Elvis was not doing anything that contributed to actual institutional segregation, that is government segregation. And in fact, Elvis, as the new movie demonstrates, actually came under fire for breaking segregation laws. Because uh, in my understanding from the movie, if the movie is correct, Elvis was accused of dancing in a black way, which kind of um, weakened the barrier, weakened the wall between white and black culture and existence. So interestingly enough, Elvis uh, was arrested or came close to being arrested for breaking Jim Crow laws. But socially, let's say, I mean, if we if we do want to be socially conscious, you know, none of us, I would think, want to contribute to racism. So if America was a very uh, racist, if people were electively racist, let's say, if people were racist, not because the government uh, had laws on the books, but because people were choosing to uh, to be racist, was Elvis then not contributing to racism by allegedly, you know, quote, appropriating black culture. So here's where uh, the only way to think about this clearly, I think, is to think of things in terms of individualism versus collectivism. So what makes something, quote, black culture? The fact that a lot of black people were doing it. Is there, can you point to a particular black person who this type of music belongs to? No, you could only really say, let's say B.B. King, who is, who's, is featured in this movie, a, a character, a, an actor plays B.B. King. You can say certain people who were black influenced Elvis directly or indirectly. And you can say that, but to say like this community owns this type of art, right? Or that this community, this, this group of people, this collective are owed a certain credit or a certain type of payment, either monetary or otherwise, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And why would any of them want to be paid, right? Like, unless you personally, unless Elvis personally took something from you personally, individually, why would you have a problem with what Elvis is doing? Um, so jumping to the modern um, understanding of cultural appropriation that we hear in recent years, we hear, you know, the, some videos went viral that were taking place on college campi, college campuses, right? The uh, 
like uh, a girl was was confronting this white guy, like a black girl was confronting a white guy with dreadlocks. And she said, you're appropriating my culture. You're appropriating my culture. And of course, it went viral. And it's very easy to laugh at her and maybe rightfully so. But let's let's be aware. Uh, let's all uh, just kind of acknowledge this is not a new thing. This is not some new allegation that came about on college campuses in recent times. This has been going on for many decades. I'm, I'm guessing at least from the 1960s. Um, I know there's instances of this taking place, let's say in the 80s and 90s. The um, group Public Enemy, who were a popular like black power um, themed type of rap duo, they famously rapped, Elvis was a hero to most. He, Elvis was a hero to most. But he never meant S to me, you see. Straight up racist, that sucker was. Simple and plain, mother F him and John Wayne. I, I'm not quite sure why, what John Wayne, uh, what the deal is with John Wayne. We can explore that, I suppose, another day. But, um, you know, what, what makes uh, Public Enemy call Elvis racist? Is it that Elvis in particular did something racist? Maybe it's the fact that allegedly Elvis was licensing songs from black artists and not paying them enough. And the question is, was that if that I've heard that took place, was that Elvis? Was it his management? Uh, the movie I saw that some of you might have seen certainly makes it look like Elvis was not really making many decisions. It was his management that was, uh, you know, basically making a lot of decisions. But yeah, if that's true, I mean, again, a tale as old as time, a tale as old as time in the music world. You know, writers and performers even getting screwed by record labels, getting screwed in a way that just makes you wonder, like, why? Why couldn't they take care of this artist? You know, this 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 performer is making them ungodly millions and they wouldn't even kick them a few hundred thousand dollars. Like they just really they they had to go as far as just leaving these artists destitute. It's just it's mind blowing some of the stories you hear from the music business. So if it's true that Elvis was kind of taking advantage of certain black artists, but is there evidence that he was doing it because they're black or was he being greedy or, or what? Right. So if that's why public enemy was calling him racist, then, uh, you know, there's a little bit to explore there. I'm, I'm not convinced that there's racism involved, but I'm guessing more likely it's the fact that Elvis was doing quote black art. And as I've sort of explored, uh, you know, moments ago, I think it's kind of a sloppy allegation. It's understandable. Like it's understandable, but also a, I think a true individualist is not bothered by it. Um, a true individualist, which I think everybody ought to be, um, kind of approaches these things first-handedly, kind of like asks like, what do I want? Do I want to be a musician? Do I want to be X? And then how can I excel at it? How can I be exceptional? It's not, if, if let me put it this way, if it is true that, Elvis stole from black people, right? Let's say he took their culture, he took their performance style and never gave them credit and, you know, never gave them opportunities to, to follow in his footsteps. But I would ask every individual in the world who has a problem with that, why is that your problem? Like, why is that your problem, right? I, I want to live in a world where there's no racism. Okay. But like, why... Who's being like, why does it hurt you? Like, why is it what how is Elvis getting in your way by pursuing the career that he wants to pursue and by doing the type of art that he wants to do? Why is it your problem personally? If you need if you need to group yourself with the collective, if you need to group yourself with a group of people for something to now become an offense, for something to now be a problem, then I would say you're thinking collectively and you're not being selfish enough. So whatever it is you want to do, 
do it. You know, you want to make music. Let's say you're black or let's say you're white. Make the kind of music you want to make. Do the type of performance you want to do. Like a community is not you. You are not a community. You see what I'm saying? Um, so if you do think of yourself as part of a collective, you'll never be out of problems. You'll never be out of grievances. There is no way to make the world so that every quote group, every race or every culture, every collective is having an equal amount of opportunities and an equal amount of outcomes. It's just never going to happen. And trying to make that happen, the type of egalitarianism that that requires. I mean, the best, the purest example of it would be, I think, the Camarouge in um, Cambodia. They just basically slaughtered a third of the culture or a third of the country, in my understanding. They just they, they, they killed anyone who looked smart, who seemed to be educated, just anyone who seemed like they had any type of natural ability. And that still obviously wouldn't get them the, the results they want. Right. You still even if you kill every as long as you leave two people alive, one of them is going to be better at something than the other. One of them is going to have more opportunities than the other. So let's say it's true that Elvis Presley in the early and mid 20th century and late 20th century, let's say, was able to attain popularity that could not be achieved by anybody black, let's say. Why is that your problem? Whoever you are, why is that your problem? There are, let, uh, an attractive woman has opportunities that no man can ever have. She's invited places, she's pursued in ways that no man ever will. Do you want her life? Do you want to live the life of an attractive woman? I would ask all men. I mean, like, it's just like, like, yeah, it's, e it's easy to be jealous or envious and say, oh, this group over here or this type of person has certain opportunities. So Elvis was able to attain worldwide adoration that no black person could at that time in history. But why does that make Elvis guilty? Like, why does that mean he's he's part of the problem? Um, and when you put people into a collective, when you tell people that they're kind of uh, the moral thing to do is for them to think of themselves as a part of a collective, you're giving them unearned guilt. You're making it so with every um, item of success, like kind of with every dollar they make or with every achievement, they are accumulating guilt. And it doesn't end with someone like Elvis, who is white. Somebody black who is successful now also is collecting guilt because is he giving back enough, quote unquote? Is he giving back? Is he, you know, is he acting white, quote unquote? I mean, the... the the uh, manifestation of altruism in people's psychology is crippling and it pits the moral against the practical. It pits living life versus, quote, morality. And that's the problem with altruism. So uh, egoism is a proper ethics, right? Rational egoism, as Ayn Rand articulates in her objectivist ethics. Individualism in the way you look at the world. You, the individual, need to look at the world and ask, like, what do I want? Be selfish, right? But being truly selfish is not being whimsical. It is actually asking, how can I attain the values that I want? Um, let's turn to, your, to the super chats, shall we? Thank you, Marilyn, for the $4. Thank you, Marilyn, for the $2, saying, what about the Righteous Brothers, Blue-Eyed Soul? I don't know what you said, but I know... Someone else probably does. Jonathan, thank you for $2.99. Free trade with 20 sex. Is that the Swedish thing? He says, nice view. Thanks. I've been working out. Oh, you mean that? 
Okay, I'll leave the jokes uh, to Jonathan, who, who with 499 says, the ideas described in America's founding documents paved the way for a global abolition of slavery. Yeah, absolutely. And the philosophical legwork done even before America's founding by people like Thomas Paine shortly before the founding, and maybe you could say John Locke a century earlier. I mean, Francis Bacon several centuries earlier, Aristotle a couple millennia earlier. These people were giants, unsung. And again, individualistically, they did this work. It was not a Greek achievement. It was not a British achievement or Scottish achievement. Uh, so are you, are you being culturally appropriating by using lo Aristotle's logic? I mean, some would say, I mean, there, unironically, there are people right now and in the last several decades saying, do not, um, if you're not white, like you should not buy into white logic and white science, so to speak, right? Because Isaac Newton was a white man. So maybe what he discovered is true for him, but not, ne not necessarily for a black person or an Asian person or a transgender or non, whatever it is, right? I mean, on the face of it, this is like Hitler incarnate. This is like absolutely unimaginable, unironically telling one person your logic is not the same as someone of a different skin color. It's laughable, but this is the power of philosophy. And we're, we're going to see this type of BS over and over and over again until altruism is overturned or at least called into question critically. Uh, free trade has, become, has been a member for four months. Thank you, Free Trade, for your support. And Free Trade with 20 sex, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Again, is that the Swedish thing? Swedish crone? I think so. Elvis was too good. Altruism demands his undoing. Yeah, so uh, I hope uh, we've explored this topic here sufficiently today. Um, I will kind of uh, say another tale as old as time that is seen in the movie Elvis is that a talented person who has everything going for them succumbs to addiction. And we see it twice in the movie. We see uh, Elvis, of course, with his addiction to the pills and his manager whatever his name was, uh, is addicted to gambling. Again, I don't know if the word addiction is right or not. I don't, I'm not, I'm not married to any particular vocabulary and terminology. I just, I know it when I see it. His manager could not stop gambling away everything he had. And he, and then basically manipulating Elvis was the only way he could support his gambling addiction. The only way he could wipe out his debts and ensure that he was making more money or whatever, that he was getting more money, that he was, could get Elvis to do what he wants. He had to be manipulative. And, um, you know, contrary to what much of showbiz history reflects, I do think, I still do maintain, there are no conflicts among rational men. I do think we all will achieve more if we are first-handed, if we are rational, if we treat each other with, if we are honest with each other. And uh, it is my opinion that Elvis did not need to die at age 42. Uh, there's good evidence he did not need to like he might have not gotten addicted to pills and all types of drugs, but for the manipulation of his manager who told him, you know, we're going to fly you around and basically we're going to knock you out with with drugs so you can ensure your rest on the plane, you know, all types of stuff. Same similar thing I think we saw with Michael Jackson, who died what at age 50 or so. Um, and there's a lot we don't know about Elvis's life. There's a lot we don't know about Michael Jackson's life. I know I might be oversimplifying things, but uh, at least we can abstract a certain lesson that may be applicable to many other people's lives. Um, it's sad. Um, so again, Elvis's manager 
couldn't stop gambling. I mean, he could, but he he was basically addicted to the uh, ritual, addicted to the uh, thrill, I guess. Uh, would not get himself under control, would not ask for help, um, kept on gambling away everything he made from Elvis and then manipulated Elvis. And according to this movie, Elvis never actually got to realize his dream, which was to travel the world, to tour the world. He never actually left the United States other than a couple years in Germany where, where he was you know, doing military service. Um, so the, again, Elvis's manager, wouldn't confront his addictive behavior, which was gambling. And then Elvis, of course, as we could see, addicted to pills, cost him his marriage, cost him his, the, his career being what it might have been. And of course, uh, brought his life to an end at a very young age. I mean, 42, good Lord. Uh, rest in peace, Elvis, um, you know, as an, as a cult, as a, an historical figure, as a cult, as a performer, as, as somebody who loved what he did and inspired many people, I'll say, you know, he was a beautiful person in that way. There may have been a lot of things wrong with him that I don't currently know about or wish to, uh, discuss necessarily. We can look at dead at the dead generally and look at historical figures and just kind of abstract what was good about them. You know, maybe there was plenty of, uh, um, not very virtuous things that Elvis was doing in his personal life, but uh, we can certainly remember um, what it is that he's mostly remembered for. The reason we know who he is, which was, in my opinion, virtuous and inspiring and beautiful. So uh, if you are currently dealing with addictive behavior, if you are currently kicking a can down the road, maybe uh, today can be the day that you ask for help. Today can be the day that you admit to yourself, you know, the word admit, Look it up, admit. It, it, it sounds like it means confess. It actually means to let something in. Maybe you can let this in, let in, let it into your, yourself. You know what I'm saying? Admit that you have a problem and you can look back on this day and thank me and thank Elvis. And we want to know what you think. Please leave us a comment down below on YouTube. Uh, what is your thoughts on cultural appropriation? Do you think we've covered it? Do you think we've left some details out? And of course, uh, feel free to leave a super thanks to support this channel and let the memory of Elvis live on. Uh, coming up today, actually, I'll tell uh, Mr. Producer behind the scenes, go ahead and uh, message me the, um, okay, I've got it. Uh, coming up at 7 p.m. UK time, which is in uh, 35 minutes from now, the Fountainhead Book Club open to members. What a great time to become a member. Hit that join button or go to the ARC UK website and become a member there to participate in the Fountainhead Book Club open to members. Other than that, we'll see you back here tomorrow for the Daily Objective. I believe I am here with a certain Greek philosopher named Nikos Sotirakopoulos. Thank you and goodbye.